Hello everyone, my name is Anthony Giorgio. I'm the video and podcast director for The Forum, and this is Westminster Stories, a podcast that gives us a chance to sit down with members of the Westminster community and hear their stories. On this episode of Westminster Stories, staff reporter Maddie Cushing has a conversation with Aaron Gibson, Director of Counseling at Westminster College, about the prevalence of imposter syndrome. Take a listen and enjoy. It's usually also overcoupled with perfectionism and also this idea that if I'm found out, I'm going to be ousted from my community in some way. You're hearing the voice of Aaron Gibson, who has been the Director of Counseling at Westminster College since fall of 2019. Aaron sat down with me to discuss the prevalence of a mental health phenomenon known as imposter syndrome as students are coming back to campus. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to the Forum Podcast. My name is Maddie Cushing. I am a staff writer here on the Forum. I am here with Aaron Gibson and today we're going to be discussing imposter syndrome. Aaron, do you want to just briefly introduce yourself? Sure, thank you so much for having me, Maddie. My name is Erin Gibson. I use um, she series pronouns. I am the Director of Counseling Services here at Westminster College. Well, we're so glad to have you on board today, Erin. So that said, let's just jump right in. From a mental health standpoint, how would you describe imposter syndrome? Yeah, this is a really great question. And talk about imposter syndrome often with students, but I don't frame it as imposter syndrome. But really like how we categorize what it is, is this, these thoughts and these feelings that come up around doubts about abilities and capabilities. It's important to remember that this is not in any way linked to intelligence, achievement, capabilities, competencies, or creative ability. And it's usually seen in high achieving individuals. Well, that's good to hear for all of us Westminster students. We like to think of ourselves as high achieving. I came up with the idea for this story when I came back to campus after being gone since early in the second semester of my sophomore year. I'm a senior now. And I just realized how much I don't feel like a senior. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I took these classes, I got the grades, like I'm qualified to be here, but it just feels wrong. I don't feel like I should be the big fish in the pond. And I knew I was not unique in these feelings. And I've talked to a few people around campus and they're experiencing the same things. So I thought that it would be helpful to sit down with you today and see kind of how we can maybe combat these feelings and you know, get our community back to a healthier place. What experiences related to this phenomenon have you had or seen as someone working in mental health? Mm, this comes up a lot, especially in the College Counseling Center um, setting where you all are about to become young professionals. That's what you're training for. And the way you described it was so accurate. Like you have done the actual work that you need to do to feel prepared, yet not feeling prepared. So there, I think there just tends to be this big gap in confidence. And what I think of is, um, I'm gonna take a step back and just describe how some of our brain qualities work and how that supports how people end up feeling this way. I think it's important to know that 70% of people feel this imposter syndrome or imposter like dynamic at some point in their career. So it's very normal overwhelmingly and it's usually overcoupled with a new situation and to me that makes sense because when I think of our brain I think of survival strategy our brains are coded in the most primal areas to overcouple things that feel different or new as dangerous because we don't have a catalog of experiences that back up 
oh, I know how to deal with this. I know how to address this. I know how to move through this. And rather than our brain taking the chance of, oh, I think this is just different. It's not bad for me. We tend to overcouple it. And so the feelings of anxiety and dread are really normal. It's usually also overcoupled with perfectionism and also this idea that if I'm found out, I'm going to be ousted from my community in some way. I'm not going to be accepted. People are not going to um, let me continue to be on the inside. And that, that provides really good evidence for people to avoid things that make them feel uncomfortable. And hence this dynamic where we start to internalize, I must just, I just must not know enough or I must be a phony. What advice do you have for some students who are struggling with imposter syndrome? How do you think that we can kind of overcome this? Well, zooming back out, um, I think there is a bunch of things that we can do. One, I want to go back to the social context that this appears in. Not feeling as though you fit is an internal process, but it's also reflected in your environment. What the research does suggest is that this dynamic shows up disproportionately in underrepresented populations. Women, BIPOC, LGBTQ+, and the reasons for that make sense to me. When you look for examples of fitting, especially in a professional setting, you tend to look for folks that look like you and come from a similar experience if you have nothing else to go off of. And when you see lack of presence, it can lead to this, hello, am I just the only one like me who is here? Oh, maybe I've fooled everybody. Maybe I'm not really as smart or as capable as I thought. I also thought it was interesting in the research that a vast majority of professional conferences geared towards women professionals, there is almost always some kind of session about overcoming imposter syndrome. And it's not that way in the general public for larger scale professional conferences that tend to attract more men. And I thought that that was worth noting because if this is an issue that you show up with and you have to, you feel more burdened to deal with, it is going to impact your performance to some degree because it's another layer of, a, of something that you are having to manage that possibly many of your colleagues don't have to. And also, it, this isn't just an internal experience, like the presence of microaggressions and the constant reminder that we don't think that you do belong here or you, historically, you have never been here. So maybe people are suspicious of how did you, how did you get here? Did you really earn your place here? And all of that can have incredible psychological impacts on individuals. And so I guess as a way to deal with this, one is to, I think, zoom out and be aware that we live in a culture that still upholds exclusion. And when we uphold exclusion, we lead to the to the damage of individuals. And so working on combating things like white supremacy, homophobia, patriarchy, and creating more equal access and equal representation will help solve this problem on a larger cultural level. I think individually there's a lot of things that people can do to work on this dynamic. One is understanding, I think, the origin of it for yourself, the story. So how this looks like in counseling is when people describe this, they'll say, I think I fooled everyone, or I don't think, I, I think that A on that test was just a fluke. I don't think that I'm gonna be able to repeat what I've done. And it's really interesting. What I usually do is try to slow that down, be like, huh, that's really interesting. The evidence doesn't support that. So how did you come to believe that about yourself? And then there's all sorts of individual exploration that can go on from there so that you're clear. Where does this come from for me? And what's the story I tell myself about my success? And does it actually line up with 
the truth and the evidence. Like, I get, I get all A's, and yet I don't get to internalize that success. How has that come to be true that I don't get to internalize that success? And the other thing is to be able to challenge perfectionism. Perfectionism is, you know, very rampant. A lot of, um, I have a lot of students that talk about it in their counseling. We hear about it a lot on campus. I hear about it a lot in the professional world. And one of my favorite resources to talk about perfectionism is from Brene Brown's book. It's called The Gifts of Imperfection. It's an excellent book, very short, easy read. And I like what she says, that she talks about what perfectionism is and what it is not. And I'm just going to read really briefly from the book, but she says, perfectionism is not the same thing as striving to be your best. Perfectionism is not about healthy achievement and growth. Perfectionism is the belief that if we live perfect, looked perfect, and act perfect, we can minimize or avoid the pain or blame, judgment, and shame. It's a shield. Perfectionism is a 20-ton shield that we lug around thinking it will protect us when in fact it's the thing that really is preventing us from taking flight. And I think that's important to note that what we're trying to do, usually through perfectionism, is avoid pain or feeling like we're going to fail. And conversely, getting into what is the worst part about failure for me? If I fail, what am I afraid is going to happen? Actually getting in touch with those thoughts and those feelings rather than seeking to avoid them can give you really good awareness about what am I actually up against and how do I actually want to work with this? Wow, that is some really great advice and what a beautiful reading. I know that we use Brene Brown resources a lot here on campus. I personally think that she's pretty genius. Do you think that if we were to talk more about this phenomenon, which it has become kind mm -hmm. of a mental health buzzword, like we were saying yes. earlier, do you think that that would kind of help to normalize it for people and get them out of that rut? That, and I think mentorship is important. Connecting with someone who looks like you and who comes from a similar background and has had a similar experience helps you remember that somebody else like me made it and they made it on their own merits and they can help uh, through that. So I think having mentorship is important. I think, yeah, it, talking about it more explicitly that it, this is a cultural issue and it's a societal issue. It's not an individual burden issue. It's not, I mean, when you think of the term imposter syndrome, I mean, I think it's a very loaded term to begin with because when you think of imposter, you think literally you're not supposed to be here. And syndrome being this medicalized term used that there's something wrong with you. And so it puts the onus on the individual to fix something that really is more complex than that and not just about an individual addressing the thoughts and beliefs, but addressing like, how is it that a group of individuals come to the same setting as others and feel like they don't belong when others feel like, yes, it's true, I've always belonged here and they've come feeling more prepared or more confident. I kind of wonder where the term came from in the first place. It's not in the DSM. It's something that I feel like has kind of popped up out of nowhere in the past like few years even. My understanding of the origin of it is it came through a study back in 1978 through some psychologists who were trying to dis who were studying this very dynamic. They didn't use it as imposter syndrome. They said imposter dynamic, I believe, or some similar term. So it came from this set of research, but then I think you're right, it has become something, especially in the, the blossoming of 
the internet and social media where it's much more out there and much more spoken about specifically in this term. And this is how I find that most people are describing it as imposter syndrome when it really isn't a syndrome. That's interesting. And I feel like that almost kind of breaks it down too. like, oh, maybe this isn't so big and bad. Like it sounds like such a serious issue. And I guess that it is a serious issue because anything with mental health is serious and needs to be addressed. But I don't know, maybe that kind of just takes the almost the sheep out of the wolf's clothing. It does. And again, I when I think of it as being posed as an individual issue rather than something that we all culturally share and being more curious, like, huh, how has it come to be that so many of us feel this way? And disproportionately, more of us feel this way. That, I think, does also help reframe it that there's not just something wrong with me because I feel this way. There's reasons for that out in the world that have led me to believe that this is true about myself. And I think the the, the added pressures um, on young people to have everything figured out and being like a master at a very young age, that there isn't as much guidance around. And I, I think we're trying to reframe this now that failure and really like trying things and not succeeding the first time is a worthy and important practice. And sometimes these feelings of inadequacy if we don't collapse into them, but we actually use them as a really good tool, like, oh, can this propel my learning? Does this keep me connected to my humility so I don't become arrogant about my abilities, but I'm committed to being a lifelong learner who is aware of my growth edges, and I'm also connected to my, to my common humanity that this is something that most people are working on, and none of us are masters overnight. It takes lots of time and lots of commitment are there any final thoughts that you would like to express about imposter syndrome? Again, I think if we go back and are able to build compassion for ourselves, that feelings of inadequacy or doubt, again, are normal when we're in a new situation because how our brain codes new information that, ooh, this is, this feels dangerous to me because it feels unfamiliar and being able to slow yourself down and sit with it and being compassionate towards yourself. Like I'm in this process of learning. I'm in this process of growth and feeling uncomfortable or uncertain of my abilities is not a conclusion. It's a process. The conclusion isn't that I can't do this. It's that this is different and hard for me. And finally, if you'd like to give a quick plug for the Counseling Center, we think it's such a great resource for students to know about. Absolutely. So if you want to speak with a counselor or you want to be involved in our groups or our outreach, we are located in the lower level of Shaw in L6. And you can reach us on our website, Westminster um, Counseling Center website on the main Westminster website. You can also follow us on Instagram. We're Westminster underscore counseling. You can also email us to set up appointments or get answers to questions at ccfrontdesk at westminster.edu or give us a call at 801-832-2465. We're open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. Thank you so, so much for sitting down with us, Erin. And thank you, Westminster, for listening to this episode of the Forum Podcast. Bye. Well, I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Westminster Stories. Thank you for tuning in. If you'd like to check out more content from the forum, make sure to follow us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WC Forum Media. 
and check out our website, wcforummedia.com. Until next time, I'm Anthony Giorgio. Thank you for listening.